Well, hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Max Danielson Show. I'm your host, Max Danielson, and joining me today is a longtime friend from my old high school at Bishop Lynch. He goes currently to Mississippi State and uh, was once a part of the BL baseball team. That is Mr. Will Haynes. Will, welcome on to the show, my man. How's it going, Max? Thank you for having me. No problem, man. Of course, being here on Thanksgiving weekend, uh, get to see a lot of people that you haven't seen in a while, so it's good to finally talk to you again. Um, without further ado, I guess I'll just ask you, it's a, tradi- a tradition around here on the show to ask you, number one, what you do. I know, like I said, you went to you go to Mississippi State, and then also uh, what you plan to major in there, and then what your favorite sports teams are. Um, I'm planning right now to major in civil engineering. And then my favorite sports teams are basically just all the Dallas teams because being from Dallas and growing up with that and then just pretty much Mississippi State. Both my parents went there. I grew up in Mississippi State, fan my whole life. Dang, so that was your dream school from the start, basically. It's the only one I applied to. Oh, really? Well, that's good that you got in. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, we'll get into Mississippi State here in a bit, but uh, in the meantime, let's talk about uh, college basketball. Number one, Duke was upset by Stephen F. Austin at the buzzer by the score of 85-83, to 83, which broke Duke's non-conference home win streak, which has been in place since the, since the 1999-2000 season. And with that, both the number one teams that were in place for the season, the first one being Kentucky with their loss to Evansville, and then now with Duke, Number one, how does this affect both of those um, programs? And then also, how does that now affect the whole basketball um, world right at this point? Well, I, I watched some of the highlights of the Duke game, and it was a crazy, it was a crazy finish. That was a big boy play by, um, or what was his, what's his, do you know his name? I do not, but I can look it up for you. Or well, so um, yeah, that was a big boy play at the end to get that uh, steal and then take it. Uh, end to end and then the layup to win the game and then <clears throat> i don't think it really is by uh senior nathan bain oh okay and i don't really think it matters that much to the basketball world because it's better to lose in november than in march that's true that's true do you think now did you see duke being upset this early on i mean no but there's always it's it's college basketball upsets are just the name of the game, and then, and if you look, if you also look at the the team that lost in non-conference in the 99-2000 uh, season, that was probably one of their best teams to go through Duke. Yeah, so. that is true. Do you, so with that, do you think now that they are like the team to beat this year, or do you think they have a really good shot at winning um, the national championship? I mean, I haven't looked at them like very hard, but obviously they restock very well every year and i think they're going to come i think kentucky and duke will come back with a little bit of a vengeance and prove that they're not they're not the team that got upset that night they're, that's true and especially both colleges have some of the best coaches in college basketball and even so now being upset this early on they have a chip on their shoulder and now mm-hmm. are going to be playing at their best level because they don't want that to happen again and speaking of another big upset, Virginia Tech upset number three, Michigan State, 71-66. Michigan State coming into it was also uh, one of the big teams this year that was supposed to surprise everyone and just already has fallen to another upset. I believe this is their second on the year. Uh, but next Tuesday, both Duke and, Mis- and Michigan State will be facing off. And I want to ask you what your prediction of that game will be. Do you think Duke's going to come out on top, or do you think Michigan State 
is going to find a way to bounce back. I think Duke coming off that loss, I don't think they've played a game since then. So they'll be coming back with a little bit of chip on their shoulder and just ready to um, to, to go out there and in Michigan State losing twice to no-name teams. Like, I think – that looks just bad on the program. They're probably not at a good place with their program right now, but you never know. Yeah, it seems like starting off the year, they were predicted to be one of the better teams and now have kind of just, I wouldn't say fallen off the the face of the earth, but definitely have dropped in stock for college basketball. Yeah. Uh, but then today in college basketball, Michigan won the battle for Atlantis against a blowout win to Gonzaga, 82-64. Of course, Michigan has always been one of the big powerhouse uh, schools in college basketball, and it was un- I wouldn't say it's undoubtedly they were going to win it, but they have a great shot, of course, going into wherever tournament they may be. I, I, I definitely think Michigan will be a tournament team this year. I, I think they're going to shock people and get up to like a three seed. Dang, that's kind of it. That is a very high prediction, but then again, it is Michigan, so you never know. Mm-hmm. And then we'll move on here to college football. Arizona State upset number six Oregon by the score of 31-28, and Arizona State's quarterback had one heck of a day, went 22 for 33, 408 yards, and three touchdowns. And then for that, the question is, what happened to Oregon? I mean, even though Arizona State played one heck of a game that night, for being a number six team and looking for that college football playoff, that last spot in it, this definitely is not good for them. No, it's not good at all. I honestly think Oregon was ranked a little too high because they really haven't had a big matchup. But it's a good win for Arizona State and their head coach. It's a good like statement win, and because he's he's kind of over there at Arizona State right now. Like it, it's like, will he succeed? Will he? fail and like it's 50 50 and i think this win like will set them in the right direction definitely especially coming off of a win against a power five team i mean oregon for the past couple years has been like one of the big teams to beat in college football mm-hmm. um and like you said this year i think that is a really good point that they have been overrated throughout the year um i remember coming into it i want to say they were oh, what was their original i want to say their original seating was in the top 10 coming into the season um but, I mean, this season, it's been definitely an up-and-down battle. Of course, they're going to be bowl eligible. I mean, heck, they're yeah. going to maybe drop, I don't know, four places maybe. Maybe even more considering the fact that Arizona State was unranked. But we'll just have to see how that plays out. And then also, number two, Ohio State secured the Big Ten title game with a win over number eight, Penn State, by the score of 28-17. And I want to ask you now with Ohio State, number one, getting the Big Ten um, championship game under their belt, and, go, and now have kind of the rest of the year a relaxation until that game plays out. I want to ask you, how do you predict them going into, A, the bowl games, and B, the college football playoff? I think in the college football playoff, they'll lose in the semifinal to because it's either it's probably either going to end up being if, uh, if LSU beats um, Georgia, it's probably going to end up being Alabama in that four spot if uh, Alabama beats Auburn and I think Alabama um, not being in the the um, conference title game they're going to come off of that with some like with a little chip on their shoulder and just trying to prove to people that they should they should have won that night in uh, Tuscaloosa versus LSU 
Now, going on about LSU, this is a recurring topic on the uh, podcast here. I want to ask you about Joe Burrow and what you think about him. Do you think he is the top Heisman candidate for this year? And if so, or really even so, moving on further about that, how do you think his draft stock is going to be for the NFL? I've, I've, I think he's the Heisman winner because I've seen him live twice, and he, he just, he just makes crazy like stuff happen. Like he just pulls stuff out of his butt and just finds a way to win. Uh, he's the main reason why they uh, are number two in the nation right now. And I think, honestly, with Tua getting injured, I think um, that raises his draft stock up. And I think you could see him going, like, first five. First, dang, you're going to say he's top five. Do you think if, what he, t- if he wins the national championship, he's going uh, top three? Yeah, I mean, I want to ask you then, what team do you think is going to take him? Because there are some teams, like, of course – the Cardinals are going to be down, and I don't even know. Do you think at this point the Bengals are going to give up on Andy Dalton, or are they just going to wait for him to get um, back on to where he was and then reinsert him into the uh, organization? I think it's time for Andy Dalton to hang up the cleats and just be, either become a coach or just uh, or broadcaster or something, but not a quarterback. Gotcha. I mean, do you think there are any other team like? Because the number one team, of course, being the Bengals, they're going to probably have the number one pick. Um, and then, of course, you have the Dolphins, who could be another team. Um, I mean, do you think there are going to be any teams that you feel would trade up to go for Joe Burrow? And if so, who do you think those could be? Um, let me think. Um, well, if if Cam Newton, uh, his injury doesn't settle, I could see – or. Or no, never mind. They got Rosen, and then you could maybe see, uh, maybe somebody like the Steelers come out of nowhere. Yeah, that could be definitely up, one because uh, it all Joe depends, Burrow. I guess, how Big Ben decides if it's time to hang him up or if he wants to keep going. And even so, I mean, Big Ben is still a great quarterback in the NFL, but he's nothing what he used to be. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely another team that I could see um, pulling that off. And then Virginia today beat number or. They're not even right. Uh, Virginia beat Virginia Tech for the first time since 2003 to secure the ACC title game 39-30. I don't know if you watched this game at all, but overall it was a really good play, uh, game by Virginia. Of course, Virginia Tech over the past couple years has also made a name for themselves. They've kind of been a bottom feeder team for a while, but then as of recency, they've really jumped up, jumped up in, a, and I keep saying this, jumped up in their uh, college football stock and have really become another team like that's I would say a dark horse team out of the ACC I mean Virginia I would never expect them to be in the ACC title game but I mean hey it's college football anything can happen that's very true and then of course the one topic that you were waiting for you knew we had to talk about that it's the Egg Bowl and Ole Miss losing to Mississippi State by the score of 2021 and that whole dog peeing celebration, that backfire that all happened. Of course, you were at the game, so I want, I'm going to let you take it away on your analysis for it. Well, any big game in Davis Wade Stadium is going to be a good one because you have all the cowbells ringing and you can barely hear yourself think. And and everybody started started getting ahead of themselves and stopped, and on that 
fourth and 24, thinking we were just about to uh, take a knee and hoist the trophy. But then Ole Miss – or we allowed Ole Miss to throw a 50-yard bomb down the field. And then they started marching down the field. But then we held them to a fourth and four. But then we made a Bush League mistake and jumped off sides on fourth and four. And then we – and then we get them. Uh, I think they scored down on third down, and then and I was like, "Oh my gosh, we're going to overtime!" And then he pulled that celebration off. And then um, they first said it was going to be on the kickoff, and I was and and then he was like, "Oh, never mind. We're doing it to the um, the uh, what's it called field goal." And then. Um, when he missed it, the place went insane. Yeah, so I, I saw that number one. I mean, that was an insane game to watch. I was watching the tail end of that, and I saw him do that. And I was like, that is going to come back and bite them. And then, of course, that happened. And we'll get into a little bit more about the whole kicker thing that's been going on with the NFL <laughs> as of recently. But um, now it's another tradition here on the show that I ask you some of the biggest predictions for college football this week. And, of course, I got to start off with probably one of the biggest rivalries in college football. That is number two, Ohio State, playing at number 10, Michigan, in Ann Arbor. I don't think that will be close. It, really? It hasn't been close for years. In, um, Even Michigan, so with it being in Ann Arbor. Yeah, Michigan just – they've never truly – they've ever since uh, Jim Harbaugh got there, he hasn't truly proven himself as a big – he – he can't really win the big games, mm-hmm. and so that's why I think uh, it's not going to be close. Now, I do want to warn you, this has happened in the past. We had two weeks in a row where people said that teams were going to get blown out, and it turns out that they got upset. One of my first guests, which was Cody Goggins, he predicted predicted uh, Wisconsin blowing out in Illinois State, and then that whole thing happened. And then uh, another guest afterwards, Austin Coe, predicted that Texas was going to be TCU, and that Oklahoma was going to be uh, Kansas State. So that might come back to bite you, but I definitely agree with you. I think Ohio State's going to win this one. Uh, I, mean, I would love to see Michigan beat Ohio State and get the talks out of the air of Ohio State being the best team in the nation, which they're definitely not because LSU is more battle-tested mm-hmm. than them. But, hey, uh, whatever happens. Very true. All right, next game, the Battle of the North. Number 13, Wisconsin at number 9, Minnesota. I think Minnesota – or where is it? It's going to be in, uh, in Minnesota. Yeah, I think Minnesota pulls that out. It's going to be close. I see that, yeah. I, I, I think that's going to be a low-scoring game. Definitely can be. Um, next one we got, this is a game you were talking about earlier, number 5, Alabama at number 16, Auburn. I've, I've been to – Auburn and it it gets crazy in their stadium, but I think uh, I think the thing that would make Alabama lose is uh, their freshman quarterback just inexperience, and then with it. But if he, if he can prove that he's battle tested, um, then I think they pull off the victory. But um, if if his freshman inexperience comes in, then I think Auburn wins the football game. All right, next game we got here, Oregon State at number 14, Oregon. Um, Oregon is going to win that one easily. 
Uh, another big game, of course, we were talking about LSU earlier. Texas A&M, at num- they're actually ranked number one this week, number one LSU. Um, I think LSU, I, I think it's going to be a close game because it always is, but I think LSU is going to come out on top. All right, another because of course this is rivalry week, so there are a ton of big time rivalries. Florida State at number eight, Florida. Florida wins that handily. All righty. Well, Florida also State, it is at Florida, so yeah, even more fuel to the fire there. There's gonna be a lot of chomping in the stadium, and uh, they're not gonna win that at all. This could be an interesting one. This next one, number seven, Oklahoma at number twenty-one, Oklahoma State in Stillwater. I think. I think it'll be a really close one, but um, Jalen Hurts has played in the um, in the Iron Bowl and in national championships, and I think that bigger uh, experience will uh, propel them past uh, Oklahoma State. All righty, we got Arizona at Arizona State. I think Arizona State wins it. They have a little momentum towards them right now after that win of uh, against Oregon, so I think I think they win that one. Alrighty, and then the last game we got here, California at UCLA. Um, honestly, don't know much about those teams, but I, if I had to guess, I'd probably say California. Or what's the spread? Uh, let me see if I can pull that up here. Um, doesn't have the spread, but I can tell you their records if you want those. If yeah. that would help. Uh, California is six and five, and UCLA is four and seven. Um. I mean, it's a big rivalry. Uh, I could see UCLA winning it. All right, so there is Will's picks, and uh, we're going to go to a quick commercial break here. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the NFL, the whole thing that's been going on, especially yesterday, it being Thanksgiving. There were some pretty good football games on. And then, of course, just a little bit about the NBA. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. The Max Danielson Show is proud to announce Gage's Granite as an official sponsor for the Saturday podcast. Gage's Granite is a family-run company operating nearby in the Dallas Metroplex. They offer custom granite, travertine, onyx, and marble countertops to homeowners and businesses since 2000. Give them a call today at 972-243-6097 or visit gagesgranite.com or on Facebook and Twitter. You can also stop by the main showroom located at 2427 Glenda Lane in Dallas. Gage's Granite, a proud sponsor of the Max Danielson Show. Hey guys, this is Jason with Lacrosse Monkey. Are you looking for a place to shop for your next athletic season? Monkey Sports is here to help. Whether you're looking for baseball, hockey, or lacrosse gear, if you can dream it, we've got it. We provide both the latest and best on the market equipment for your athlete. Stop by and visit us at 105 West Bethany Drive, right off of US 75 in Allen. Monkey Sports, a proud sponsor of the Max Danielson Show. And welcome back. Uh, where we last left off, we were talking about co- all the college sports, especially basketball and football. And now going on, we'll turn to the professional side of football. 49ers, are they asserting themselves as a big team? Of course, last week they crushed the Green Bay Packers 37-8. 
Rodgers on that day went 20 for 33 and a very, very low 104 yards on the game. Uh, before we get into that game, I want to ask you, what do you think so far of the 49ers, and do you think that they are really the big team to beat this year? The 49ers are shocking everybody right now because um, nobody really expected them to do any, do much this year. But uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is carrying that team to uh, – what's their record right now? Right now they are uh, – let's see here. They just got – so I'm pretty sure 9-1. 9-1. and, one. Nine and one. He, He's – Putting the team on his back, he probably needs a chiropractor for all his back pain. And um, I I don't think they're sorry. The, they're ten and one. Ten, ten and, and one. one. I don't think they're the team to beat this year. Honestly, I think uh, what Lamar Jackson is doing with the Ravens right now, I think they're they're the best team in the NFL. And then right behind them, you have the Patriots. If the Patriots uh, can figure out their O line, I think it's going to be uh, those are the two teams. Now I. I definitely, I don't know if I 100% agree on the Ravens. I do think that, of course, Lamar Jackson, we'll get into him in just a little bit. So I want to save that for now. Um, I mean, the Ravens are playing some top-tier football, of course. But I definitely think otherwise from that is definitely going to be the Patriots. And that's the one thing that I was talking about earlier um, on one of my other podcasts was about the difference between the 49ers and the Patriots and why everyone considers the Patriots the number one team versus the 49ers, the number two team. And that's because the Patriots have proven in the past why they deserve that number one spot. Of course, Tom Brady, easily probably the, maybe one of the greatest quarterbacks, maybe the greatest quarterback to, to ever play in the National Football League. And then, of course, you have guys on their team like uh, Julian Edelman. They have, of course, like you said, a pretty good O-line and as well their defense. I mean, their defense definitely has downgraded since, of course, when they let go of Malcolm Butler and all that. Um, and they've definitely been an on and off team on the defensive side, but the offensive side, you also, they got Mohamed Sanu just a couple weeks ago, which is very, very big for them. Um, I see you want to say something. I, I honestly think this year it's completely flipped. I think their defense this year is really, you think the defense? Yes, because you look at it, the Cowboys score was 13 to nine. And, um, I honestly think their defense is, uh, carrying them this year. And then. I mean, They're, definitely that game, the defense played extremely, extremely well. I think, honestly, I think their O-line has troubles, and once they figure out their offense, um, they'll be they'll win the Super Bowl this year uh, if they can figure out their offense because their defense is, uh, is, is it's kind of a flip from past years because more of the defense is uh, uh, kicking in um, for the Patriots. Now, I want to ask you a question. This news kind of broke just probably a month or so ago, and that was Tom Brady um, selling his house in New England. So I want to ask you, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think that Brady is considering leaving, or do you think he's really considering retiring uh, from the NFL? I think he, uh, if he wins a ring this year, he's probably hanging it up. You think You think it's going to be the it? Yeah. If he's... he doesn't, do you think he's going to still play, and do you think he would go to another team, or do you think he's just going to – Stick it out with the Patriots. I I don't think there would be any reason for him to go to another team. I mean, what Bill Belichick and him have done with the Patriots is just remarkable. And like, I I don't think um, he would be he would ever leave uh, the Patriots. But if he gets a ring, uh, he's definitely retiring this year. And um, but if he doesn't, I think he has one more year left. And I definitely re- and. 
I 100% agree with you on the whole Bill Belichick thing. What he's done with the Patriots is remarkable. I would consider him a top three coach of all time. Of course, up there with Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry. Um, but one thing I also, I read this for this week. It was that um, Bill Belichick told Jerry Jones back when they were, when he was fired from the Browns that remember my name. And I'm, and sure enough, that's one of what Jerry Jones says is his biggest regret is not hiring Bill Belichick when he could have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, just what he did, because the one thing that I love about Bill Belichick is he can turn basically anyone into a superstar. Um, like I mentioned earlier with Malcolm Butler and kind of how the defense lost a lot of um, star power when Butler left. I don't know if you, I'm pretty sure you've read the story that he at one point was working in a fast food restaurant and then had one of the biggest interceptions, maybe the biggest interception in Super Bowl history. Yeah. And established himself as one of the top corners in the game yeah he um it's just amazing what uh he can do with um people who are are just kind of struggling and like finding their true potential and uh bringing it out of them and um i mean julian edelman great example right there he was a quarterback in college and they turned him into this elite wide receiver in the nfl yeah and now julian edelman no probably i don't think barely anybody heard of him Unless you were a fan of his of the team he played for, or uh, your team was in the uh, the team you liked was in the same conference, but um, I think he, he turned him into a, a low tier quarterback to a household name as yeah. wide receiver. I mean, especially even so now that he has not only Edelman, but he also has um, Muhammad Sanu that they just traded for, which was extremely big when that news broke. But another big thing, and I think this is another key why the offense has been a little bit down also, like you said this year, is because they lost Rob Gronkowski, and he was easily probably the top tight end besides Travis Kelsey and George Kittle in the NFL. Yeah, that that was a big loss for them. But, I mean, props to him for um, – because he had a lot of, like, mental yeah. issues, and he just needed to step away from the game. And I, I respect him for doing that. Um, because it can be really hard, uh, if you're just going through that, that, that much injuries and stuff and it can be hard on you. And, uh, he, I think he did the right thing in my part. I definitely think that too. Um, uh, going off of that whole thing that you were talking about with the Cowboys game, uh, the Cowboys lost a very, very close game, um, to the Patriots 13, nine. That was the Patriots 17th double digit win in a row for them. And, of course, the number one thing, and I was talking about this on Twitter, with that whole tripping call, I think it was on Travis Frederick, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Yeah, it was. Yeah, but, I mean, that was a very, very bad call. And this year, the refs have been terrible. I remember watching the Thanksgiving games yesterday, and they just got so many calls wrong. And I remember there was, um, it was during the Cowboys game where it was a illegal use of hands, and the guy wasn't even close to his face. He was holding the shoulder pad. Um, and I want to ask you, why do you think this year has been a humongous problem for NFL referees? I honestly think the league's getting soft and, um, the refs, they're just because of the major, um, hate and backfire that the refs got from the, uh, New Orleans game last year. I think they're scared to not call or to not make calls this year. So they're, uh, doubling down and calling even the littlest things that. Look I mean, like you could anything. see it when the uh, Cowboys play the Saints in that one game. There were so many calls 
that probably should have been called, but they didn't want to do them because of that fear. And that is a humongous thing. Because, But the worst part is there are some calls that, like, before the season, how many illegal use of hands calls have you seen? Barely any. Barely any. And that in the Cowboys-Packers uh, game, I know there were two of them. And then yesterday, I want to say there were two of them. Oh, I can't remember what. There was a really weird penalty that they did yesterday. I can't remember it. Um, but we'll get into that game in a little bit. But and or honestly, in two tripping calls in one game, like yeah, that's basically two. unheard of. And it was what made me mad was that was a tripping call on one of the big or on the biggest drive of the game. And, and especially if you look back one, on the film, he didn't. He barely even touched him. He was just doing his. Uh, He's just pa- blocking. He was just doing, he was just doing what yeah. he needs to do. Yeah. And. I don't know why, but I really think this year the NFL has to do something about it because it's been building on and on, I think, every single year. Um, I think it all dates back to, if you remember that whole thing where they had to bring in college football refs and they screwed that uh, Seahawks-Packers game yeah. where it was that what should have been an interception, but they called it a touchdown. Yeah. So I think it's been building upon that each and every year. And even so, a lot of people are saying, oh, these teams get calls, but then the very next week you see them, all calls are going against yeah. I think in that 49ers-Packers game for the first, I want to say, eight or nine penalties, they were all on the Packers when there were a lot of questionable ones. Uh, but then going on with also the Cowboys, Dak Prescott has really been making a name for himself this season. Of course, after his rookie year, he kind of died down and just had he's been doing average, of course. But this year when he came onto the scene, his first three games, he really blew it up when he, I mean, even so, I know, he did play really the Pop Warner teams of the NFL, let's be honest here. But still to be able to do that against NFL teams is remarkable in itself. And I want to ask you from that, do you think that Dak Prescott deserves that 30 to $40 million contract that he's asking for? Yeah, I think he does. Because when you look at, or honestly, he's one of the top, uh, he's one of the top young quarterbacks in the league right now. And um, I think mainly this year he's finally being definitely top young quarterback. For yeah, sure. top young quarterback. I wouldn't say he's one of the top quarterbacks, but he's definitely a top young quarterback. Yeah. And and especially where did he go? Mississippi State. There you go. And um and I think honestly this year he's finally uh being like like it, this year it was it's been all play call like that he's finally got yeah to he's gotten the what more. he could do and because the past few years they just put all the load on Elliott. And then Dak Prescott would only pass like 20 times a game. And then they would be down in the fourth quarter with two minutes left. And they'd be like, okay, now go throw eight times in a row. Yeah, and especially and then the you didn't have much. You maybe had Cole Beasley. But then they went and got one of the probably the best receivers in the NFL, Amari Cooper. Uh-huh. And then now they get to dish that out more, especially Michael Gallup's been playing out of his mind as of recently. Um, and the Cowboys, they definitely have – something brewing i think they have one of the younger teams but the biggest concern of mine is the whole contract thing if they throw all this money at Dak, then they also have to throw that money at amari and then now you have so many more young guys not only on i'm pretty sure they got the o-line locked up for i want to say at least three years but on the defense it's here and there where they have some guys like vander esch eventually they're going to have to uh re-sign him they just locked up to marcus lawrence which is very very big for them and then at the end of the year, they'll probably have to meet, uh, re-sign Michael Bennett if they want to bring him back. And we'll talk about more so what Michael Bennett did uh, when we get to the Thanksgiving game. But going on with a team, the team that you say is the beat this year, 
The Ravens just pummeled the Rams by the score of 45-6. to Lamar Jackson played one heck of a game. 15 for 20, 169 yards, threw for five touchdowns, and also um, had 95 rushing yards. And I believe he is, but I want to ask you, do you think he's going to be the MVP this year? He's definitely the MVP. The The craziest stat that I've seen is the, I th- the past like two or three games, they've only punted twice, and it was both on drives that RG3 was the quarterback. Yeah. That's just insane to me. Like that, that offense, they're – they uh, score on 56% of their drives. That That's just insane. I mean, the one thing that Lamar Jackson reminds me of is that young Michael Vick that was coming out back in yeah. that 2004 season where he was just unstoppable. You never knew. And the one thing I love about Lamar Jackson's game is he's just very unpredictable. He could throw it down the field and throw absolute bombs. He can hit guys um, on slants 15, 20 yards out. And also, if he needs to, he can, he can get out of the pocket and make something work on the ground. Um, and that is just why he's asserted himself as um, one of the better quarterbacks. And even so, just a couple years ago, he was passed on, I want to say, was it 25 or 26 teams in the draft? Or no, he was he was the last pick in the first round. Yeah, he was the last one standing, uh, sitting there in the room. But I also think that um, his, his, like, his game, it seems like he's playing Madden out there. Like, yeah. he's, just, he's just putting up insane numbers. That, uh, like you said, have not been seen since like a young Michael Vick, and it's just crazy. Um, I mean, going off there, uh, we'll go to the first game of Thanksgiving, which was the Bears beating the Lions. It's only Thanksgiving tradition that the Lions lose. Um, <laughs> they lost by the score of twenty four twenty, and the Bears moved to five hundred on the year. Um, Trubisky, he really started off really, really bad through an interception. I want to say, I think it was his first drive, but then came back. He posted 29 for 38, went for 338 yards and also threw three touchdowns along with that one interception. And I think that's been the biggest problem for the bears this season. Of course, last year, Trubisky was one of the better quarterbacks we were seeing and everyone hyped him up this year. Everyone was saying he's going to be one of the top quarterbacks, not only in the NFC North, but as well in the NFC. Um, And then this year, he just fell flat on his face. He has not done well. The Bears were projected to be one of the better teams, of course, having an amazing defense. The defense hasn't played the best that they can be playing, even though they have Khalil Mack, who's a generational talent. Um, And even so, you have guys like Allen Robinson, who are... Decent receivers who have at least made a name for themselves in the NFL. And then David Montgomery, who has been playing a really, really nice rookie year for them. But just being in an NFC North with teams like the Packers and the Vikings, it's very, very hard to get to where the Bears need to be. I think I think that was a big win for the Bears to put them at 500, even though it's one of the lesser teams in the NFL right now. But it was still, uh, I mean, any victory... Um, to put your team or to put your team closer in the uh, to being the top in your division, I think uh, is good for any uh, uh, NFL team. Would you agree that the NFC North is probably the best division in football, or do you think there's another one? Who's in the NFC North? It's again? the Packers, Vikings, Lions, Bears. Um. The would, only other team, honestly, that I could say would be the West, the NFC West. Let me check this right now. 
because right now for the NFC West, 49ers are 10-1, Seahawks 9-2, Rams 6-5, and and then the Cardinals are 3-7, and and then for the NFC North, uh, both the Packers and Vikings right now are eight and three. Lions are six and, or Bears are six and six, and then the uh, Lions are three and eight. Um, I th- I I honestly say with the West is the uh, the division uh, the hardest division this year because you got San Francisco, Seattle, uh, the Rams, and Arizona. Or Arizona's not the best ever. But, but then again, you do have the young quarterback of Kyler Murray. Yeah, Who, who's having a very sleeper season. He's not doing bad, but he's not doing good. Yeah, I'll put it that way. But definitely within the next year, especially if they get a higher draft, if they get a high draft pick this year, that could really, really help them out. And then of course, they also, along with David Johnson, now got Kenyon Drake in that trade with Miami, which is going to be interesting to see how they divide up the touches between those two. Um, but moving that, on to, or can I say one more thing? Yeah, about go for it, man. Arizona, um, they're with that. Uh, with Kenyon Drake and um, and what what's what what's his name again? David Johnson. David Johnson. That's kind of like what the quarterback or running back duo you saw at uh New Orleans last year or the past two years. But uh, hopefully it'll work out for him. Definitely. Um, I mean, do you think the Cardinals will be a team? Do you think because the Cardinals have really been bottom dwellers since when they were in the Super Bowl? I want to say it was 2009 when they played the Steelers um, and really then have been in mediocrity or mediocrity um, in the NFL. So I want to ask you, do you see the Cardinals in the future within, I'll say within the next 10 years, possibly being contender, or do you think they're still going to be a bottom feeder team and be like, I'll just give an example here with the Astros where they were a bottom feeder team for a decade and a half and then came out of the blue and are now, the team to beat in the MLB. I think I, I wouldn't say next year. I, I think next year they'll end 500, but I think in two or three years when Kyler Murray's got a couple years under his belt and you have also, if Ken, Kenyon Drake stays and they sign him, they can get some draft picks on the defense. I think uh, you could see them being not winning the Super Bowl, but at least making at least it second and third it. in the, in the second, third round in the playoffs. Yeah. Alrighty, next game I want to go on to. We were looking at it a little bit beforehand, um, and that is the Dallas Cowboys losing. I want to say, oh, was it, is it the fifth year in a row or fourth year? Um, I, I think, think the last one. Last one was the Pan- Yeah, it was five years ago when they played the Panthers back in 2014. Um, and this game, Zeke, like you said, they've really been pressuring him with basically running their entire offense in this game. Rushed for 137 yards. And my biggest question right now for the Dallas Cowboys is why in the hell is Jason Garrett still the coach for the Cowboys? Honestly, uh, that's what everybody in Dallas is saying. But <clears throat> I honestly think this is his last year because just he's he doesn't know what to do in big games, and we've and it's just been repeated, or you've just seen it time and time again, um, going for three. Or get going, get kicking the field goal instead of uh, going for it on that fourth and seven versus the Patriots. Like that's a really big game. That would have been a really good yeah. statement. We uh, because everybody says we're overrated because we've only beat teams who are under five hundred. And I feel like he should have taken a chance and gone for that fourth and seven because you have you have Amari Cooper, Randall Cobb, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, 
uh, Michael, Michael Gallup, and I think, uh, and or just dump it off to Jay, uh, to Witten like we've done for the past like, or however long he's been a Cowboy. I mean, this year he's definitely had. Well, of course it's going to be his down year because, I mean, at this point he is a skeleton of what he once was. Yeah, definitely. I one hundred percent think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves that. Uh, he's a he's a lock for the Hall of Fame. Definitely. Um, and then the big thing, and I want to. Do you think? Who do you think could be the coach next for the Cowboys? Because I think no matter where they go, it's going to be a step back. Because I'm seeing already. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to leave where he is right now. And if they sign uh, Josh McDaniels, I mean, a lot of people are saying that he does not know how to run a team. And that was when the Packers were looking for a coach this year and when they sell for Matt LaFour. Uh, um, the one thing that everyone was like is don't get McDaniels because even though, yes, he's under the reign of Belichick and he kind of has that whole thing. I mean, you look at Matt Patricia for the Lions and – what has he done besides what beat the Patriots that one time, and then now they're a bottom feeder team in the NFC North? I I honestly think this this is maybe a really far stretch, but I think we should uh, pull Tony Romo in as our head coach because that actually I could definitely see that, and I think that especially hearing him in the broadcast booth, the one thing that he does that or that he does versus every other broadcaster is that he knows exactly when things are going to happen and he knows how to plan for it. He's he's he may have one of the smartest uh football IQs that pretty much has ever been in the game and he knows that organization inside and out and I think he would honestly be a good um he he would be a good head coach because he just knows so much about the game and yeah. I feel like um he would and he and he would uh be a, a little risky and like that's what we need uh in big games you just got to you got to risk it for the biscuit <laughs> yeah and especially one thing like i remember they actually had to tell or they had to tell tony Romo just to shut up and just let some things play out cuz he knew exactly what was going to happen and he would just say oh they're going to run like a wide out to the left and then on cue it happens right there and sometimes, of course, you'll see that with broadcasters. They'll say, like, oh, you know, like Michael Confronto is going to hit a home run this pitch, hits it. But Tony Romo, it's consistently that he knows what's going on. And I think that would be especially good for the Cowboys because not only can Tony Romo run an offense, but at the same time, he, and we saw this throughout his career, he knows how to read a defense. He knows how to find um, his wide receivers. He knows how to make things happen, whether that be, and especially even so, he was there in the rookie year for both Dak and Zeke, so he knows how to make those guys work. Yeah, and he that's just that's just years and years of watching film. Like mm -hmm. honestly, um he he knows he knows what's gonna like like you said, he knows what every person's doing on every single play and he just in his quarterback mindset, he knows how to read the defense, he knows what the weaknesses are, what the strengths are where to go with it. And um, honestly, I think that would be a really smart decision if we um, pulled him in because he's already loved by everyone of Dallas. Yeah. If you don't love him, you're just get out of Dallas. Everyone and, loves him, but hates Jessica Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, and uh, Jerry Jones loves him. They have a good relationship. So I don't think, there would be any drama between them. No, heck no. And then uh, it would just be a good 
It'd be a smart uh, decision. I definitely. The more like you like you talk about that, I definitely agree with that. I think that would be a really and not only because that would definitely jumpstart something for not only would that be able to rejuvenate a young team, but it also bring in a lot of revenue because I mean Tony Romo is a household name here in Dallas. Everyone knows him. I still will be driving down in Dallas and see a Tony Romo, at least one or two Tony Romo jerseys every time I drive down there. Yeah. I mean, that's the name and the impact he left on the city of Dallas. Uh, but going on more further into that game, uh, I mean, Mayer and Hauschka, they were very inconsistent. And especially kickers right now. I mean, I want to say, oh, was it? No, I don't think it. I think it was all in the, um, I'm pretty sure it was Cowboy in the uh, in the Cowboys game. Oh, how many? I want to say there were three, four missed PATs or field goals. I'm pretty sure. I mean, there were a lot of miscues and especially it was mainly Hauschka um at the start and then that one um oh, yeah field goal at the end of the second uh end of the first half that was tipped for uh mayor i don't i don't know if it's the special teams coach who needs to be fired or they just they don't or it's their work ethic in practice but something oh excuse me something needs to be changed and uh for the kickers because they're they're one of the. It's one of the most important positions on the field because it it can make or break a game basically yeah, yeah, yeah. when it comes yeah. down to it all. And especially we saw that not with only the Bears last year, yeah, Cody Parkey there, um, and especially not only that, but the holders also have a very very big role in that. You have to place the ball wherever it needs to be. You got to line up to the laces going towards the field goal. If you put it towards the kicker, it's going to be shanked either left or right. Yeah, so it's... there is a humongous and the one. And I, I've said on this podcast before, I have a soft spot in my heart for Pat McAfee. Love his podcast. Love what he does. He has a very, very high uh, football IQ. And he talked about, and I remember on one of his podcasts, he was talking about how much pressure both the kicker and the holder have on it because that's basically what you do. You maybe have two or three of those a game, and you are called into the game. If you miss it, then you're like, well, crap, I just screwed up my team for the rest of the game. Yeah, when... When that happens, you have two or three shots, and if you mess up, it, it can either make you the most hated. Um, I mean, that's how it was in, in the Chicago, or the most loved person. I mean, before town. it was a uh, after one, it was the next week after they got rid of Cody Parkey. They actually outside the stadium had a. Um, I'm pretty sure it was brought brought by uh, Coors Light, but they were like having fans kick field goals to see if they could do it, and I'm pretty sure maybe one or two made it. Out yeah, of, it was like a, like 500 fans. It was that like did it. beer for a year. Yeah, like it was something like that. Uh, and then moving on a little bit past that, the last game on Thanksgiving was the New Orleans Saints clinching the NFC South with their win over the Atlanta Falcons, 26-18. I mean, Drew Brees, after his injury, has just looked like he hasn't missed a beat. He is playing dominant football like we once knew the Drew Brees, who is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL especially the arm ha- that he has and, like we keep saying, the football IQ. Mm-hmm. I would say back a couple, like, in the past decade, the big guys, the big quarterbacks with football IQ were Drew Brees, Tony Romo, and then Phillip Rivers. Those are my three top, or the guys with the highest IQ. And even so, going on just a little bit about Phillip Rivers, like, he lives in San Diego, so he's got to make that three-hour commute every single time to Los Angeles. And not only every single game he has to do that for every single practice and 
don't know if you ever seen this, but he has a van, and in that he also um, oh, I can't think carpools with his backup uh, quarterback, and they have a van with a film room in there, and basically the whole way there they're just studying film, and that's why I mean you see Philip Rivers as one of the highest IQ quarterbacks in the NFL. But yeah, I, mean, I mean, going on with the Saints, how do you think they're going to play this year? Do they think? Do you think they have a real shot at the Super Bowl this year? I mean, I wouldn't say the Super Bowl, but I could see them. <clears throat> I could me- see them making it to the AFC Championship because if you look at you the, mean the NFC Championship. NFC, that, that's what I meant. Sorry. You're good. You're good. Um, because if the reason Drew Brees came back with without skipping a beat is because that's just how. Uh, good that team is this year yeah. like T- Teddy Bridgewater went in and he was uh he wasn't putting up the greatest numbers of all like of all time but I mean his story is also extremely good yeah. I don't know if you ever have read that I'm pretty I, sure you have I think so it's a it's a really really good story um and then moving on the final topic here for the NFL the Eagles extended their offensive tackle Lane Johnson for a four-year 72 million dollar deal uh the Eagles of course this year what I saw, especially in the Packers game, is they have a very underrated O line. When they need, of course, they don't have the greatest running back in the world by any means, but that O line can do its job. They can get gaps in, and that's especially why the Eagles just ran all over the Packers in that one week. Um, and especially this makes him also the highest paid offensive tackle in the league. And he's really become a name for himself since entering in the league back in 2013. For the past two seasons, he's been a Pro Bowler and has really shown himself as one of the better or best tight, uh, best offensive tackle in the game. Um, yeah. Then, and I know that uh, it's got to suck for you, especially talking about that as a Cowboy fan. But Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, they do have the best offensive line in the game. One of, definitely. One I th- of, honestly, yeah. I think the Cowboys definitely have a way better offensive line, though, than the uh, Eagles, in my opinion. I mean, it's... It's back and forth uh, from week to week, but um, they just that I think they're kind of underrated also because they just don't have the stars, right? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The Cowboys have not like a Travis uh, Frederick or a Zach Mi- or Zach Miller. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Or no, I meant like they don't have like an Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, okay. I thought you meant on the uh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Because if you have if you if you have the gaps, but uh, you have a running back who. Uh, goes through them and then can't get past any contact that um i mean you get some recognition but not as much if your running back isn't putting up crazy yards especially like the giants they don't have a good offensive line but they have saquon barkley who is an absolute beast or another one that i'm talking about uh who i've mentioned numerous times here on the podcast and who is definitely up there for mvp uh candidate is uh christian mccaffrey he's having one hell of a year as well after after Cam Newton's injury, he's putting the team on his back. He um, he accepted uh, the heavier load on him this year with Cam Newton uh, being out, but um, he's he's just going off. He can he can uh, run the ball and also go out in the slot and catch passes. Like he's just he's just a Swiss Army knife. righty. Well, we're gonna move on here to the NBA. Oh, boy, this first topic has me half-hearted on this. The city jerseys for the Dallas Mavericks. So all the teams have basically released their city edition jerseys. NBC did a ranking. The Memphis Grizzlies don't have a city jersey, but they were ranked 29th. The 30th team, 
the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen these jerseys. Have you? I, I've seen them. And I, How do you feel about that. them? Because I'm half-hearted. I like, don't get me wrong, I like the gradient idea, and I think the, I just, I'm half and half on that lime green. I think it pops, definitely, and I think it really expresses the city of Dallas. But I cannot get over that damn chest font on this jersey. It oh, what was the thing I saw on Twitter? It was um oh, it was a baby diaper brand that had the same font, and I can't get that out of my. It was um oh, I can't remember it. But once I saw them, like they of course someone found them on Dick's Sporting Goods and leaked them out, and I just. I was like, really? Again? Because they released the statement jerseys back in in July. And don't get me wrong. They're not bad, but they're I, just average. I think they, I think All they really it has, deserve that ranking of number 30. Cause they do. I, I think they're just they're They're, they're just bad. Like, and the statement jersey, it just said, it's just all navy blue and just says Mavericks. Nothing else. I love the Skyline jerseys that they had. And I was so mad when they got rid of them. And then to see those replaced... I honestly, and I don't get how it's so hard for the Dallas Mavericks to make a city jersey or just jerseys in general. Their first city edition jersey, terrible. Last year's jersey wasn't bad, but it was average. It wasn't, it definitely could be better. I think it was definitely, and I I remember saying this last year on Twitter. I was talking about how a fifth grader can design this jersey. I retract my statement on that, and I definitely now think a fifth grader made this year's jersey. (laughs) It is bad. It's, it's probably going to go down. Honestly, I I also said this on Twitter. I don't know how the Dallas Mavericks have done this, but they have found a jersey that's worse than the silver jerseys that they had. I believe it was the 2004 season. And then the Dallas Stars Mooderist jerseys, if you I, know what those ones are. What, oh, oh are. boy. So I'm gonna look them up real quick. back in the know? day, the Dallas Stars released an alternate jersey. And this is also for my viewers who don't know um, what I'm talking about either. The Dallas Stars released an alternate jersey, and they introduced their third color of red into the jersey, no. and it was just so bad. And they tried to make it like the um, the Taurus, um, what's it called? Did you say uh, Mooderist? Mooderist. Mooderist. And, um, and they tried to make it like that, like the Star Constellation, which kind of makes sense. But the jersey itself, and the reason why it's called the Mooderist is because the logo resembles a uterus. <laughs> That's the reason why they call it. So somehow the Dallas Mavericks found a way to make a jersey worse than that. And I don't know if you've seen the silver jerseys what, what, either. Uh, what year was the Dallas that, that, those jerseys? Oh, man. That was a long time ago. Oh, boy. I, I've seen them a time or two. I want to say it was the 2003 season. But they were bad. And then the silver jerseys for the Mavericks back in the 2004 season, they played one game in them and then got rid of them. These? Yep, that is the Mooderist jersey. That is cool. And then, I don't know if you want to look up the silver jersey, but that was even worse than that Stars one. Stars silver jersey? No, the they Mavericks silver jersey. That one was bad too. Um, but we'll, we'll move away from that topic as you are probably looking up those. Um, and we'll move on to a positive thing for the Dallas Mavericks, and that's Luka Doncic. He is having an MVP season. He is averaging 30.1 points per game, 9.5 assists per game, and 10 rebounds per game, and is really asserting his dominance and showing why he deserves not only his rookie title from last year, but as well why he probably should have been an all-star last year. Yeah, the, he's he's just going off. And um, honestly, 
uh, I'm so glad we tr- we traded Trey Young for him because I mean don't get me wrong Trey Young's really good but Lucy he's Doncic's... definitely been another great player. I mean last year very inconsistent but then after the All Star break he really found his footing and is now really shown why he definitely is deserving of that number two player in that draft class. Yeah, and then um... and it definitely worked out for both teams. I mean. Now the Hawks have a great young core, and even so, for the Mavericks it works out because now you got two big-time stars in uh, the DFW and possibly bringing in a third, which I hope personally is going to be Bradley Beal off the Wizards. But Uh at this point, I have no clue what they could trade for him because their draft picks are gone because, of course, they shipped those not only to the Hawks back when they traded for Trey Young, but now also they gave up those Knicks. But I don't think this year they're really going to matter, so easily Mavericks won that trade um even though they did give up my boy Dennis Smith Jr who is one of my favorite (laughs) players and I'm so sad to see him there because he looks absolutely miserable in New York and I don't blame him they barely play him they actually play uh Frank uh over him which aggravates the hell out of me because I know Dennis Smith can be a good player and why he didn't work here in Dallas is just because Rick Carlisle and this is why Luca is better with Rick Carlisle uh, with him being at the point is because Luca's not really a rookie. I mean, what he did in the Euro League, we have really never seen a guy do. He was nowhere near rookie. He was basically in his prime back when he was in the Euro Leagues. And coming into it, everyone had doubts. Of course, everyone does with a European player. Same thing they had for Chris Stapps um, and a lot of guys. But it's definitely shown why you should never, and especially what he did. Back in the early, because when he was, I want to say, oh Lord, when he was 15, he won the championship, and then when he was 17 or 18, he won the Euroleague MVP. Yeah, the um, at 16, he was the youngest player to ever play against the NBA team. Yeah, and um, just looking at him like, and I actually even remember watching it because it was a preseason game. And I was yeah. like, dang, this kid is really good. And um, and honestly, and it's crazy how. Uh, he's putting up numbers uh, that are better than LeBron's. Uh, oh, three, and Magic uh, Johnson. He's doing Magic things Johnson. that, yeah. I mean, he has done things like that. I know Oscar Robinson, LeBron, MJ, and um, Magic Johnson have all done in the rookie years as well as uh, he's up there with Russell Westbrook and Allen Iverson. It's insane to think just a few short seasons ago, the big thing was, oh, it's going to be Dennis Smith and Mo Bamba leading the way for the yeah. Dallas Mavericks. And now they have Kristaps Porzingis, who hasn't really gotten his footing in the NBA. Of course, uh, he's been out for 600-plus days with his ACL injury. Um, And then now is starting to get his slowly but surely get his way back into the game. And then Luka is just leading the way for the Dallas Mavericks. Mm -hmm. Um, But they are in a very, very stacked West. And especially going on with this very next team, I want to ask you, do you think that the Clippers are the team to beat in the west i personally say yes and that's because of the mavericks past six games a lot of those games uh were against the top six teams um i know they beat the nuggets were very very close with the celtics and the lakers but then the only team that really blew them out was the clippers and the games that the clippers have lost is when Kawhi leonard nor paul george were playing i think i think the championship is it's definitely going to be in uh, be brought home to Los Angeles this year, but uh, 
whether it be the Lakers or the Clippers, I don't know, because with Paul George now coming back, we I wouldn't call them right now looking at them the team to beat, but we'll see as Paul George progresses and everything coming back from his injury. And um but right now it's it's the LeBron and A D show. I mean, Los they're Angeles playing right out of their mind too. Um, I mean, that's the one thing that's do, now. Do you, who do you think is going to be out of the East? Do you think it's going to be the Celtics? And how ironic would that be if it's Lakers Celtics finals appearance all over again, back uh, almost a decade? Jeez, that's insane to think that was a whole decade ago. Yeah, it's time flies. Um, I think honestly, the 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 Greek freak is gonna. Uh, finally make is going to make his first final. I really hope he does. And I, I, oh my gosh, it pains me that Donnie Nelson was about to pick him, but then Mark Cuban wanted to save 400K for Dwight Howard. So close. But then again, I don't think uh, Giannis would have worked out for the Mavericks because how the Bucks developed him is the very key thing. And even so, like I saw this last year with um, when the Mavericks picked Costas, his uh, younger brother, I, I worked in the G League with him, in, with the uh, Texas Legends, and one thing is everyone compared him to how Giannis was with his body and that he was supposed to be even better than him. But just like Giannis when he came in, Kostas has a lot of problems. He is very, very inconsistent. He barely played much. He was a two-way guy. You have to be, of course, for the Mavericks. That is just um, a revenue right there with the last name Antetokounmpo. Yeah. Um, but the one thing, and like the best thing for Kostas not only now is he with the Lakers which is an extremely good place to be um to be mentored by LeBron James and Anthony Davis two of the top uh players in the NBA but as well I just don't think the Mavericks historically have been good at developing guys besides um Jason Kidd Steve Nash and then uh Dirk Nowitzki and those guys were just you know the offhand but then you have guys like Jay Crowder I mean Jay Crowder He's an average player in the league, but guys like Bernard James and Shane uh, Shane Larkin, who are supposed to be very, very good, but the Mavericks just couldn't develop. Yeah. Or even so, when the Mavericks brought in uh, Lamar Odom and Rajon Rondo, and they were supposed to be pretty good, and then this whole thing turned out to be a very, very bad thing for them. So that is going to be it for now. We are going to go to another quick commercial break. When we come back, we are going to be talking about the – MLB with the start of the offseason, a little bit of the NHL, and then some breaking news that came out of the Arena Football League. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. The Max Danielson Show is proud to announce Gage's Granite as an official sponsor for the Saturday podcast. Gage's Granite is a family-run company operating nearby in the Dallas Metroplex. They offer custom granite, travertine, onyx, and marble countertops to homeowners and businesses since 2000. Give them a call today at 972-243-6097 or visit gagesgranite.com or on Facebook and Twitter. You can also stop by the main showroom located at 2427 Glenda Lane in Dallas. Gages Granite, a proud sponsor of the Max Danielson Show. Hey guys, this is Jason with Lacrosse Monkey. Are you looking for a place to shop for your next athletic season? Monkey Sports is here to help. 
Whether you're looking for baseball, hockey, or lacrosse gear, if you can dream it, we've got it. We provide both the latest and best on the market equipment for your athlete. Stop by and visit us at 105 West Bethany Drive, right off of US 75 in Allen. Monkey Sports, a proud sponsor of the Max Danielson Show. And welcome back onto the podcast. Where we left off, we were talking about the NFL and as well just a little bit about Luka Doncic and his whole big MVP season uh, in the NBA. And moving on here, we're going to get into a little bit of the start or the start of free, uh, of the offseason here for the MLB. The Chicago White Sox re-signed Jose Abreu, their big cornerstone in their organization, to a three-year, $50 million deal. And they also got Yasmani Grandal from the Brewers for a four-year, $73 million deal. I want to ask you what your thoughts on that are. I think that's a really good pickup for uh, the White Sox. And I think... You could possibly see them uh, maybe not contending, but at least making it far into the postseason this year. Yeah, I mean, especially also the fact that it's also the very start of it and who knows what the heck the teams are going to be up to. Um, Also, just yesterday, the Phillies signed Josh Harrison uh, to a minor league contract. I mean, this guy, when he was on the Pirates, was really the big deal, and he was supposed to be this next upcoming star like an Andrew McCutcheon and then basically fell off the face of the earth. I mean, last year with the Tigers, I know he did decent. It wasn't great. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, I don't know how to, I I really hope, especially him going to the Phillies, he can make that comeback, especially with their new manager, Joe Girardi leading the way and what he's been able to do for players. Uh So, I really hope that, and especially like last year that we saw Hunter Pence was signed to a minor league contract and then became the starting DH in the All-Star game. I think I think um, him being put in the minor league will kind of be like an awakening and almost make him want to work harder for right, it and everything. Yeah. So I think we could see him not become an, all, an All-Star like Hunter Pence, but just becoming – Somebody uh, who we see highlights from on like ESPN, and but not like great. Yeah. Um, and speaking while we're on the Rangers, they signed uh, Twins pitcher Kyle Gibson to an undisclosed contract. I want to ask you, do you think this is a very underrated signing for the Rangers? Because last year, I mean, Kyle Gibson had a pretty decent year for the Twins. He was one of their main guys out of the rotation. Um, and then especially... Not only is he being added onto a rotation with Lance Lynn and then Mike Miner, but as well a very, very young bullpen of the Rangers that's, yes, inconsistent, but has a lot of potential. I think, I think we honestly need to, uh, we need to hire a new uh, pitching coach because I feel like with our young bullpen and um, with our rotation, they could use a little bit better development in their game, yeah, in, in their inconsistencies. And I, think, I mean, you see guys like Jose LeClerc who are very good, especially right now, um, but definitely need a lot more development along their way. Yeah. So I definitely could see that. I don't know if the Rangers will do that, especially because, I mean, their pitching coach is very, is a very high, a, I wouldn't say, a, I don't know how to put this, 
a highly looked after uh, pitching coach, and he has a lot of respect in the MLB. I know that. Um, but it'll definitely be interesting. And then the biggest thing for MLB that I wanted to focus on was this trade that went down yesterday between the Padres and the Brewers. The Padres got uh, Zach Davies from the Brewers and as well Trent uh, Grisham. Um, last year for the Brewers, Davies uh, went, had a 3.55 ERA and 31 starch, which is very, very good, especially with the Padres. They're a very, if I definitely think they're the youngest team, undoubtedly in baseball. They have a superstar in the making, Fernando Tatis Jr. You also have on the other side with him, Manny Machado coming in, and as well, I know yeah, they have guys. Huh? Oh yeah, um, and then one of their big guys coming out of the minor leagues, Mackenzie Gore, uh-huh. who I've seen play, and that guy has it. He is going to be one heck of a pitcher one day in the MLB, but. The biggest thing for the Padres is they gave up Eric Lauer, but I mean, that's not really the big thing, but the big person that they gave up was one of their top prospects. I believe they're actually their top prospect who hasn't really done well in the MLB, but in AAA absolutely dominated and he's only 22 years old and that's uh, Luis Urias. And what's interesting for the Brewers is that they traded for Urias, who is a second baseman and shortstop when the brewers right now have two very very young players and their top players in their organization or in their minor league system and their second base and shortstops so it'll be interesting to see how they fit urias in i definitely think he's going to be already up to the uh major leagues and i think he can maybe get a better footing because now he's not in the shadows of uh tatis jr and all these guys in the minor leagues who have shown way more potential than him yeah. versus where he's on the Brewers, where they they do have a nice um, minor league system, but nothing compared to that, like a top-tier system like the Padres. I mean, I think you pretty much hit it on the nail with that one. <laughs> All right, well, uh, actually, I'll leave this topic for last. Um, so the Pirates hired the Twins bench coach, Derek Shelton. Of course, going into this offseason, when Joe Madden was released from the Cubs, Right away, the Pirates fired uh, Clint Hurdle because they wanted a shot at him. And then when Joe Madden went to the Angels, now the Pirates are thinking, okay, well, now we got to find some type of coach. And the more and more I look at this, I don't think they should have fired Clint Hurdle because I don't know much about Derek Shelton. I do hope that he does have a positive impact and maybe he could be like for the Rangers or Chris Woodward. Uh, Chris Woodard. Um, but we'll just have to see how that all works. Um, and then the Nationals extend, uh, extended Jan Gomes, who was a very big piece for them um, in the postseason, to a two-year, $10 million deal. And now the Nationals are facing <clears throat> the possible departure of Steven Strasburg and or Anthony uh, Rendon. And I want to ask you from there, do you see the Rangers having a shot at Rendon or do you think that they have a better shot at Josh Donaldson? Or if it's neither of those, who do you think the Rangers are going to go after? Because John Daniels has already said that he's going to be spending money this offseason on a third baseman or a starting pitcher. I think I think if we give him, if we flash enough money in his face, we could get Rendon. But I, I think, I think we don't, we don't need Josh Donaldson. I feel like, He's kind of slowly getting out of his prime, and he's not. I mean, last year he had a very, very good bounce back year with the Braves. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. 
Um, yeah, because that was last year. Um, but like, I I don't think he's he's all that like he used to be with the uh, Blue, Blue Jays. Jays. Yeah, I mean, definitely though. At least he may. I honestly though, I think the Rangers will give him a three year deal. They're not going to go more than that because, yeah. like you said, he is falling out of his prime. He's getting older. He was a very late bloomer in the MLB. So definitely that is going to be something because if they go Rendon, if they do get Rendon, they're going to extend him for a long time. And my biggest concern about that is in the past, what's happened to players when they've extended them for that long. What I mean by that, Prince Fielder yeah. got injured, career-ending injury, and then they signed uh, Sin Shu Chu which still to this day, I have no clue why they gave him a seven-year deal. And he's not a bad player for the Rangers, but he's nowhere near the money they threw at him. I mean, he wasn't, like, great, but he he was consistent. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the one thing at least. Well, I mean, this year he had a, he was a little bit inconsistent, but years prior, he's yeah. at least been consistent. He's not been, like, the top-notch guy that he should be, but, I mean, the one thing that, you know, I would like to refer to the movie Moneyball is, he gets on base and that gets wins. Yeah. Um, so you we'll move on. On base, you can't score runs. Very true. We'll move on here to the NHL. The Stars' twelve point or twelve game uh, point streak ended on Tuesday versus the Chicago Blackhawks with a loss of three to nothing. And I mean, this season for the Stars was definitely a down at the very start. Uh, at one point, they were one and eight on the year and really have came back to be considered one of the top teams in the NHL like they were predicted to in the start of the season. So I don't know how much you followed with the Stars, but I want to ask you, with that knowledge that I just uh, told you, I want to ask, what are your thoughts so far for the Stars, and how do you think they stand a chance for this postseason? And if you have been following, uh, who do you think, or what do you think the Stars really need? The... I think it was just a slow start. I mean, team teams have them, but as uh, honestly with with hockey, baseball, and basketball, it's all about who gets hot at the right time. Right. And I, I mean, th- you saw that with the St. Louis Blues last year. Yeah. And I think if like us now getting hot, if we can just keep it until the postseason, I feel like we would be. We could. We could. Pull off being in the Stanley Cup. But yeah, I don't know uh, how how much or how much of a chance we have for actually like winning it. I mean, the one thing that honestly the Stars need and they've needed forever is their defense. And even so, yeah. you know, I get they do have Miro Heiskanen, who's becoming one of the up and coming um, younger players in the NHL, and then you have an established defenseman of John Klinberg, and even so, guys like Stephen Johns. But that's not enough. Once Heiskanen and um, Klinberger out of the, out of the uh, rotation, they go on to their next line. You have Steven Johns, and then what else? Exactly, I mean, yeah. that's pretty much it. And that was the big thing why the Blues beat the Stars in that Game 7 last year. And the problem hasn't been with Bishop, even though, yes, he is made with, made of glass bones and he's extremely injury-prone, he gets your job done. I mean, last year he had 50 saves in the game, and they still didn't win. Because yeah. the Stars' defense is so inconsistent. I feel like in recent years, we've spent more money on offense rather than Yes, defense. 100%. 100%. I mean, this offseason, they went and got Corey Perry and Joe Pavelski, who are really two offensive players. Now, of course, they aren't what they used to be back when it was like 2015. If it was 2015 of those two guys, 
Those are humongous ads. And then they went and got Alex Radulov the year before and Jason Spezza. I mean, they have really focused on the offense more so. And even so, I mean, getting Ben Bishop a couple years ago, that secures the goaltending problem that they have with Carly Lettinen, which I don't want to go back to. <laughs> Nobody ever wants that, to go back to I mean, that. he was a great... Don't get me wrong. You know, there were years where he was really, really good. But then once he rode off those years, he got bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't... Heck, I don't even know if he's... St- I don't think he's in the NHL at all. I think he's playing in Sweden somewhere. <laughs> um, but he was just so bad for the Stars the past couple of years. And they threw so much money at him. And I know $5 million, like, in every other league is very, very small. But, but for NHL, like, like, the highest paid contract is, like, $10 million, And that's very excessive. I mean, $5 million for a goaltender, oh, that's a lot of money. Especially for a backup that they had him last year. I feel like the Dallas... Uh, I feel like all of the Dallas teams throw money at at people they really shouldn't. And I mean, you want to talk about a team that doesn't do that is the Mavericks. I mean, they don't do anything in free agency. I sometimes they they sign people, or not in free agency, but people we already have to. Yeah, I mean that's true. I mean that's the one thing that they had this summer. They're like, we got Chris Tapps for Zingas. I'm like. We already traded for him. We had him to begin with. Yeah. And then you had, I mean, a perfect duo would have been having Pat Beverly on your team. Yeah. And then they just said, you know what? We're going to try go for, oh, God, I do not long. Do you remember that whole thing with the Miami uh, Heat trade, right? Uh, no. Okay, so they tried to go. So the Mavericks, originally they wanted Gordon Dragic, which was a former teammate, Luka Doncic, very, very decent uh, player. And I'm like, all right, I can get behind that. I do like Gordon Dragic. I don't like the contract, but I can get behind it. So then it turns out that they were going for uh, Derek, uh, what was it? No, Derek Jones Jr. and um, Kelly Olynyk. <laughs> and I'm like, why? And because everything got so messed up, and the trade fell through, and then it later came out that originally the Mavericks wanted both those guys. Yeah. And it's bad because Kelly Olynyk, they traded beforehand to get Shane Larkin I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that was that year um which was a terrible trade overall and then Derek Jones Jr yeah he's got athleticism and all and he what's it called was in a dunk contest I want to say last year but that's it he's a G League talent and that was oh man that's the one thing and for my viewers, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I will bash the Dallas Mavericks when it comes free agency. I will be on Twitter constantly just commenting how annoying it is to be a Mavericks fan. His, um, his timeline gets very long during Mavericks. Free yeah, agency. I have noticed also that my followers have slowly but surely been going away. <laughs> Maybe one or two. I know a couple people have unfollowed me because of, oh, what was my rant a couple weeks ago? It was something about the Packers. No. No, it was the Packers game. And I went on like this like 10 tweet or tweet rant because I was just so annoyed with the Packers at this point. And then I saw like the next day I logged on and I lost like five followers. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's very bad. Um, and then the last thing we'll talk about for the NHL, uh, Bill Peters, he was just signed by the Flames but had to re-sign from his coaching position following um, or amid a scandal of abusive and racist comments to uh, former players and Particularly at this point, 
uh, news surfaced that he was apparently punching and kicking his former Carolina Hurricanes players in the head, like when he got pissed. Uh, I shouldn't say when he got mad um, during practice or at games or yeah, after that's, games. That's just a terrible look for that organization, and he just. I mean, he did the right thing of resigning. I think that yeah. was definitely the right thing he needed to do. They probably pull him in the office, and they're like, "Look, you can either resign with some I mean, honor left, or yeah. we can just fire you." And I mean, that's the same thing with that whole Antonio Brown thing. Yeah. Like all those like um, sexual assault things that came out. No one wants that. Not even Jerry Jones wants that. Yeah, that just kills. That just kills you as a player. Like something as bad as that, like kicking your teammate or kicking your players or um verbally verbally assaulting them or call yeah. or saying racist comments or definitely doesn't do good for like, your organization um, anything with uh sexual assault or like uh hitting the uh like a women or stuff that like it just ruins your career yeah um we're gonna move on to our final topic of this podcast now i don't really veer off from many of the major sports that we talked about. I've only done this one other time when uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic um, decided to leave the LA Galaxy a couple weeks ago. Uh, But this one was extremely big news that broke out, um, and that is the AFL, the Arena Football League, filing for bankruptcy. They have been established since uh, 1987 and have been well-known for a long time. Everyone knows what the Arena Football League is. And when I saw this, I was very, very confused because I had no clue the state of arena football was going down. I knew arena football. I've gone to a few games of arena football. It's not good. <laughs> it's not. It's entertaining, but yeah. it's not good football. Yeah. So I knew that, but I never would have thought that the day would come that are, I at least didn't think now. I think maybe the next 10 years, yeah, I could have seen that happening. But now, I didn't think that was going to happen. And the big question with the AFL now filing for bankruptcy, not only that, now they have one other Arena Football League and as well um, the Alliance Football League, which we all remember that last year. That yeah. lasted maybe, what, six games and there was already problems. Yeah. I want to ask you now, what does this mean for the revamp of the XFL? I think it really opens up space and opens the door for it to, if it has a good backbone behind it, I feel like it it could have a lot, it has a lot of potential and i feel like uh it could have a lot of success if they do if they do the right things at the right times and i definitely think the first time around in the XFL when Vince McMahon you know he tried to combine WWE fans and NFL fans together and that just didn't work yeah. it wasn't real football this time around not only i mean the WWE is a major corporation that has billions upon billions of dollars. So that's not going to be the problem about paying their players. The problem is bringing that entertainment. And I like that also um, that they're going to bring it in the springtime versus the fall, which was the biggest concern of mine, what they did last time around and having it collide almost with the NFL um, during the season. Yeah, you, with can't, this, you can't compete I, with the NFL. Oh, no one can. Um I mean, and also the one thing that I like to see is, well, actually, I do and don't like to see what they now uh, that Dallas got themselves an XFL team again, but they're playing in the old Globe Life um, Park, and it breaks my heart to see what they've already done to that that place because a lot of my childhood memories were in that ballpark, and they're already just 
going to town on it with football like adding in a whole thing of bleachers on the left field porch and all that i mean i don't know how i feel about it <laughs> and the worst part is what happens then if the if the xfl fails now what do you have to do and i thought automatically when i was told that um the rangers were getting a brand new ballpark is okay tear that down get some parking because that is one big problem that I've had in the past at um, Globe Life Field is the parking there. I yeah. mean, it's horrendous. I almost have to drive a mile away from the stadium just to find <coughs> some reasonably pri- uh, priced parking. It's still 20 bucks. I, um, yeah, I, I think if the XFL fails, it could be either used as parking, like you said, or just mainly a concert. Venue. I think it definitely will be. And, I want okay, so I guess we'll revert back to the MLB a little bit with this. How do you feel about this new new stadium? Because I know both of us, we're both Ranger fans. We grew up as Ranger fans. We had many many memories in that ballpark, especially with them going to the World Series yeah. in 2010 and 2011. I know, especially I was a little bit irritated when this all came out that um, that the Rangers were getting a brand new ballpark. I think it's great that they're getting AC and a roof. But at the same time, you have a ballpark like Globe Life Field that's one of the best in the MLB. Looks definitely a 10 out of 10 there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a true ballpark. I've, and the only problem, and I still don't understand why, though, that they didn't think about that. Because Minute Maid Park was built in that same time period, and they decided to put a roof on it. So then why don't you do that in the heart of Dallas, especially when you know that, hey, it's going to be like 100 degrees out in the summer? Yeah, I feel like... Honestly, with this new stadium, we're honestly competing with Minute Maid Park. And I mean, the, don't get me wrong. The new stadium looks freaking awesome. I, I don't like the design because if you— Really? You don't like the if design? If you really it. look at it, it's basically just— I mean, Minute yes, Maid it Park is a 2. replica 0. of Minute Maid Park, and, basically. And it's, it's, it just looks like, oh, we're just trying—we're uh, using all our effort to try and be like them. Like I see a lot of Chase Field and uh, Globe Life— uh, or not Globe Life, um, Minute Maid Park in that whole it, thing. It kind of makes us look like the little brother of uh, Texas baseball. Yeah. When originally, I mean, heck, I could honestly argue that, I mean, Globe Life Field is better than Minute Maid. Yeah. Even, and I've been, and we went there for uh, when we were back uh, with Bishop Lynch to watch a couple uh, college baseball games there. And don't get me wrong, beautiful ballpark, but. Nothing compares to that of Globe Life. Yeah, just the, just like the energy of Globe Life Park was and the just one, amazing. Oh, the no, another thing I thought of, they're getting rid of that hill now. There's not going to be that hill in the new ballpark oh, yeah. in center field, which is a big, big part of Ranger uh, Ranger baseball. Yeah, it's iconic. And you're not going to have the the fireworks and um, the uh That'll be interesting natural. how they do that. And that'll be a little bit interesting. And then that's that's the best part of whenever they hit the home run, you have the yeah. Uh, I think it's it would it's all natural or something like that. Yeah. Or uh, that that uh, music. Playing. Oh, from the natural. Yeah. Yeah. Or that natural. Yeah, that's what I meant. And uh, that was probably the best one of the best baseball movies, maybe the greatest baseball movie of all time. That's debatable, but I mean it's very debatable. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying that's my pick. Well, actually, no, I say my pick's forty two. That's my favorite baseball movie. Yeah, of all time. They, they did a great job with that. I was actually really surprised when I saw that because I thought it was going to be like a documentary. But then um, I was like, damn, actually did a really good job about that. 
Well, I think this is going to end this podcast. Uh, Will, thank you for coming on. You were easily probably one of my best. I'm going to say this. Sorry, prior guest, but you were definitely my best guest so far. Thank you, Max. I will definitely say that. And it's also my longest episode, almost an hour 30. And it's tradition. I ask my guests if they have any final words or if anything else they want to say. Um, no, I don't have anything else to say. That's it. No final remarks. No, uh, go Bulldogs. No, anything. I'll give, I'll give a little hail state. Hail state. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank y'all for watching from myself, Max Danielson. Have a great, have a pleasant good morning, a good afternoon or good evening to you wherever or whenever you may be watching. Thanks y'all. See you next week.